hello and good morning and good day from Melbourne. Beautiful as she is today, shining and gleaming in the sunlight. Susanna here with you and the Left After Breakfast team to bring you your program today. So please stay tuned. Uh, Good morning, you're listening to 3CR, the only radio left. Yes, you are indeed listening to 3CR. You're listening to Left After Breakfast. Good on you. But I wanted to hit you first off, listener, with the concern, the very deep concern, that we have an election coming soon. And you have to get your friends, your neighbours, everyone you know, strangers on the bus stop, for heaven's sake. We must not vote these buggers back in. This worst government that we've had forever. Let's just get rid of those people in Canberra as quickly as we can. Vote them out. Otherwise, well, what other choice do we have? I don't want to say it on air, listener, but you know what other choice we have. There are so many reasons to vote these buggers out. There are so many things I could say. But one thing we have to remember when we're talking about this particular government is the cashless debit card. And that's of great concern to me. And it should be of great concern to you. The cashless debit card, as you know, what it is, it forces income support recipients to have 80% of their benefit quarantined to a debit card that can't be used for gambling or to purchase alcohol or to withdraw cash. The remaining 20% of a person's pension is placed into the normal bank account. So it's advertised as being an income scheme to stop people using their pensions on alcohol, gambling, etc. But don't worry, because everything else will be business as usual. Well, nothing could be further from the truth. It restricts so much more than that. It means you can't shop at supermarkets, because some supermarkets have a liquor section. You can't pay for school excursions on it. You can't pay for school uniforms on it. They have to be from some approved store. Well, have a little think about what might be an approved store, something with which this government agrees. The point is, it strips away from people their right to manage their own finances, making them, well, at least second-class citizens, making them endure abuse and stigmatizations makes them being branded as a drug user, alcohol user, and being basically financially worse off due to the extra fees and charges for using the card. And though the government has claimed the card will reduce the effects of welfare-fueled alcohol and gambling abuse, and it will assist people to break the cycle of welfare dependency by stabilising their lives and helping them into employment... And they claim that the card reduces domestic violence and crime and improves the welfare of children and families. However, the St Vincent de Paul Society has spent many years researching the effects of the cashless debit card and they show that this does not result in widespread or sustained benefits either to the individual or to their community. It leads to no discernible improvements in employment outcomes, is poorly targeted, is not cost-effective, 
can result in strong negative experience, that is, social stigmatization and exclusion, financial hardship, increased stress, financial harassment, discrimination, and damages financial management skills. But the question we ask, why is the government so keen on this card? Let's just have a look where the idea of the card originated. Well, you'll probably be quite surprised to find that the mining billionaire Andrew Forrest put forward the concept of this card to the federal government himself. I'm not sure when we started taking advice from mining billionaires and retail billionaires, for heaven's sake. I suppose we should always remember that Jerry Harvey, as a billionaire retailer, once again, a very wealthy individual. He's the one who lamented that Australian charity is being wasted on no-hopers. Well... Let's just leave Jerry Harvey, the one of the most dislikable people in this country, and we'll look instead at Andrew Forrest. Now, what does Andrew Forrest hope to gain by giving advice to the government on how it can look after its less advantaged citizens? I mean, seriously, what could a mining magnate hope to achieve? Does he care about people who are less advantage than he is we shall see I mean nothing wrong with people giving their opinions and they're entitled to their opinions even if their opinions are too gross to make you keep your breakfast down but they shouldn't be proffering their opinions directly for government especially how to apportion taxpayer funds in the interest of the public because (laughs) seriously listener Mining magnates rarely consider the public interest. You know, that's why we have elected representatives. That's why we have a public service. The elected representatives and the public service implement critical community services and they take responsibility for the decisions that they make. So, all in all, it was rather, well, perplexing, really, why Andrew Forrest came up with this idea of his. He gave this report to the newly elected Abbott government. He brings ideas and opinions to the table, but these are ineffective, harsh, and demeaning to the people they're meant to support. And let's be real here, ideas provided to create more opportunities for the wealthy class. And his report, called Creating Parity, was essentially a long opinion piece showcasing the thoughts of Andrew Forrest, typical of the robber baron corporate cowboy mentality that strongly suggests his way is the only way to address welfare issues. But what I find really curious in this Creating Parity report, listener, in this report, Forrest consistently refers to the National Australia Bank, to the Commonwealth Bank of Australia, to Westpac and to ANZ. But there is no mention of Indu, the banking company that Forrest and a couple of his friends were involved with at the time and the company that has ended up managing the program. Well, of course, 
you'll say governments should be open to new ideas to address identified social problems. But Forrest sought money-making opportunities that will benefit friends of the Liberal and National parties and siphon public monies into private hands. The Indu company has existed in some form for about 50 years, but more recently developed a range of tentacles that reach out to a range of political players, primarily within the conservative domain. The most prominent of these is the former National Party MP, Larry Anthony. During the time of the Howard government, Anthony was the Minister for Children and Youth Affairs, and after losing his seat at the 2004 federal election... He became a director of ABC Learning, the corporatised childcare provider that attracted a wide range of Liberal Party operatives and MPs, you know, like Peter Dutton for a start. Through 50% childcare subsidy provided by the federal government, ABC Learning reached a market capitalisation of $2.5 billion. If there's largesse to be found and delivered from the government to the private sector... Larry Anthony is never too far away. Anthony's trust company, Ilalangi, owns substantial shares in Indu. Now, Indu has received between 4000 to 10000 for each participant in the cashless debit card, up to $10,000 for a private company to manage an account only worth up to $14,000 annually would make me ask, um, is this company the most cost-effective option? And also why it was chosen in the first bloody place, especially when the expertise and experience provided by the National Australia Bank, the Commonwealth Bank, the West Bank, or indeed ANZ, would obviously have been far superior. But, come on, it's all about the transfer of public money to private hands. This is the cashless debit card, listener, and it's coming for you. Oh, I'll have to stop and take a breath. It's been more than 10 minutes I've been ratting and ranting away about this transfer of our money into the hands of a very greedy and obscenely wealthy few. So I thought I'd play something from my past. Ah. Golly, you can pick my vintage, can't you, by the music that I play. Here's a really, really old one from on top of my wardrobe again. From The Weavers.
I saw a seaman standing idly by the shore, and I heard the owner saying, "Got no work for you no more." But the banks are made of marble. Oh, yes, the Weavers. Pete Seeger started off with them, of course. Oh, God, that takes me right back to the 1950s when I was listening to the Weavers and trying to play the guitar with all those little dung-dung-dung-dung. Well, I learned that fast enough, but nothing else, really. Oh, well, that's all in the past. It's another country, as they say. But, yes, the Becks are made of marble, and Indo is made of marble with a guard at every door and our federal government putting the army around it. That's where the money's going from the cashless debit card and it's coming for you. This federal government is all ready to go with rolling out, oh, I love that term, rolling out the cashless debit card to everyone who is on a benefit or pension. Everyone, just remember that, listener, when it comes time to vote. And it won't be long before it becomes time to vote. You're listening to 3CR 855 AM on digital and on the internet, www.3cr.org.au. And I am indeed very, very serious about an election coming up soon, listener. Be ready for it. Have your friends ready for it. Have your family ready for it. Have everybody you know ready for it. This has to stop now. This murderous mob has to go. Anyway, it's time that we heard from Ask Bucko. He'll tell you. Let's hear some more about Smirko Morrison. Good morning. This is Mark Buckley. Broadcasting on 3CR, left after breakfast. The title of this week's speech is uh, Morrison is not doing much of a job. Surprise. Scott Morrison's been Prime Minister since uh, the 24th of August 2018. That's now more than three years, during which time the country has struggled to find any benefit from his Conservative government's rule. His efforts to lead have been weak, unconvincing and even embarrassing. Most of his policy initiatives are lifted directly from the IPA playbook and as likely as not they they have caused unnecessary and predictable suffering for those less fortunate than himself. 
They usually involve privatising of some necessary social service, almost under the cover of darkness, but certainly using regulations and thus avoiding the scrutiny of Parliament. He's touted as a master politician from within the Liberal tent, but anyone with an ounce of common sense has sorted through the announcements, the bluster, the refusal to face scrutiny, the frequent absences, the obsessive secrecy, and concluded that he's really only there to serve himself. He governs by reading the polls and he often misunderstands or completely misses the country's mood. When one of his decisions goes sideways, he's then forced to provide a solution which he delivers as if it was his own. Then he often adds demeaning and patronising riders and limits. He often, often inserts conditions to any government assistance as if the recipients, meaning us, were all a little bit shifty and prone to taking advantage. He behaves as if it is his money. He exhibits a disturbing lack of respect for accountability and transparency and he treats the press with contempt. He regularly breaks political protocols and conventions with the question arising as to whether he simply does not know the rules or he believes he is above them. We've all watched his TV appearances where he avoids scrutiny through bad-tempered responses to legitimate questions or blustering refusals to answer or even sometimes the hasty exit. Let us look at the first test he faced, the worst bushfires in the country's history. He went to Hawaii on a holiday, then he hid the fact that he was away. Then he tried to justify the holiday by comparing himself to a suburban dad, except that Mr Morrison is the Prime Minister earns over half a million dollars a year and is responsible for the general well-being of the country. Leaving Australia during the bushfires was appalling behaviour. He has failed the country in his handling of the pandemic as well. He was always quietly pushing for an early opening up of the states while mouthing platitudes about following medical advice. He had colleagues attacking Daniel Andrews during the Victorian outbreak in 2020 because Andrews was enforcing a lockdown. He undermined the vaccine rollout by buying too little vaccine too late. He bet on one only vaccine supplier and then he destroyed public confidence in the AstraZeneca vaccine by announcing a very rare side effect of, of that vaccine and the public has broadly rejected its use ever since. Imagine the amount of taxpayer money. It clearly is a race and the disadvantage needed to to be prioritised. Morrison announced that vulnerable people were to be prioritised. He even provided a priority list. It included Aboriginal people, the disabled, people who live in the regions, immigrants and refugees, elderly, the staff who, who look after many of those people, especially the elderly and the disabled. But surprise, surprise, the very groups prioritised on paper by Morrison have inexplicably fallen through the cracks again. They're falling behind on vaccination rates and the government seems to be unable to help them. Scott Morrison is not doing much of a job. Thank you for listening. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio, Melbourne's voice of dissent. 3CR Community Radio, 855 on the AM dial, streaming live at 3cr.org.au or on 3CR Digital in Melbourne. 3CR. I love that little harmony sting that just says 3CR.
But here's another little bit of harmony. Last week I played for you a little number from Faith Petrick. Remarkable woman, remarkable. And here's another little song from her. It's blowing in the wind again, it's drifting in the rain. Before the dead have moldered yet, or wounded heal their pain. I am so old, my grandsons, that I remember when I marched to hail the armistice. I was barely ten. That was the war against all war to save democracy. Praise God, they said we've won the peace for all eternity. I marched for Spain when some years passed and marched and marched and then another war to end all war and so I marched again. I marched in Minneapolis, Chicago and Duluth, in San Francisco and New York. I marched to shout the truth. I marched in Hiroshima and knelt before a stash of tens of million bones of people atomized to ash and with the distant rumble of new regiments of men I read the warning on the tomb this must not be again I marched to staunch Korea's blood I marched for Vietnam I marched to stop the napalm and I marched to stop the bomb I've marched and marched and marched, oh Lord, I'm sure I've done my due. I marched since I was barely ten, and now I'm seventy-two. I should be lying in the sun or dreaming in the grass. But how when generals everywhere are polishing their brass, entranced with dreams of four-star roles, so help me, Lord, they're glad. It's said that whom the gods destroy, they first must render mad. Their burning eyes see no man's lands and armies poised for action. And you, my warm and loving ones, you're merely an abstraction. It's geopolitics again, and oh, with what finesse. The players push their pawns about these masterminds of chess. How cunningly they plot each move, how skillfully they spar and checkmate one another like the masters that they are. How stimulating, how intense a world to lose or gain, except for one dismaying fact. The players are insane, controlled, dispassionate. They play this game that madness spawns. And I can't even look away. My children are the pawns. I marched to staunch Korea's blood. I marched for Vietnam. I marched to stop the napalm. And I marched to stop the bomb. Marched and marched and marched, oh Lord, I'm sure I've done my due. I've marched since I was barely ten, now I'm seventy-two. Some people keep on fighting when they've lost an arm or leg. Some still keep up the struggle when they're fragile as an egg. I've heard men rasping, I object, 
With voices turned to gravel I've seen a woman raise a fist Who couldn't lift a gavel And even with a broken heart One still can make a stand So lead my children, lead the way Reach back and take my hand We'll march again, confound them all Don't quibble at my age I'll shield you with my brittle bones I'll nourish you with rage I marched to staunch Korea's blood I marched for Vietnam I marched to stop the napalm And I marched to stop the bomb I've marched and marched and marched Oh Lord, I'm sure I've done my due I marched since I was barely ten Now I'm seventy-two We'll march again, confound them all Don't quibble at my age I'll shield you with my brittle bones I'll nourish you with rage Thanks, Faith Patrick I'll keep that in mind And another fighter from way back Of course, is the Bagman That oh-so-elusive Bagman Who of late has not been so elusive Because I've managed to track him down But let's get over and hear what he has to say Uh, Good morning, you're listening to 3CR The only radio left Well, good morning, Bagman, again Ah, good morning, Susan And good morning to all your listeners And I hope we find you in fine fettle this morning Because... The disclaimer I'm about to give is that we have to, because of COVID, record this program a couple of days before uh, we actually go to air. So I happen to know that you've just got out of hospital and I've just got out of hospital. So maybe after lockdown, we could catch up and we could compare our scars. Great minds think alike, Bagman. I also, I also have a little uh, recording that my son wrote a bit of music for me. For me. Really? And he said, here, Mum, play this with your friends. And it's called Music to Talk About Your Operations too." Oh, now, knowing, <laughs> for, knowing you for well, Susan, you've been in hospital more times than I've had Sunday dinners. Maybe he should have written a symphony. What, a symphony? (laughs) Come on, Bagman. You like to have a go at me, don't you? Well, no, I do. Uh, No, I don't. But uh, we've been doing this for 34 years, and so we we can have a bit of literary licence every now and then. (laughs) Literary (laughs) licence. Let's talk about the tragedy that took place in Melbourne roughly two weeks ago because a drunken, uh, drunken, drug-filled mob, you will call them rioters, I'll call them mob, uh, actually turned up at the CFMEU office and uh, and just started to destroy uh, property. Now, all the officials came out of the, uh, uh, of the CFMEU to defend the building and they were pelted with bottles of urine, bottles of beer, other missiles, all the while were that while they were being given Dutch courage by a, a, a northern suburbs, Middle Eastern drug family who were supplying them with 
methamphetamine. Now, if people don't believe that, I have the footage, I have the film of the men who were sniffing methamphetamine to give them Dutch courage. My God. Well, one does never see, Susan, and, uh, you know, the point is, and uh, people ought to look at this properly, you cannot go around destroying other people's property. I can't come and throw a brick through your window, and you can't come and throw a brick through my window. Well, even though you would want to, Susan, you can't destroy union property without being uh, charged by the union uh, for destroying that union property. Now, the CFMEU have been going through the footage of the members that turned up drunken and drug-filled and tried to destroy, or did destroy union property, and they've been going through the footage and they've discovered quite a few union members who are now going to be charged uh, with destroying union property and more than likely will be expelled from the union. The point is here, Susan, of those officials that came out to defend the union property and they were pelted with urine and cans of beer and uh, other uh, missiles, 14 of those officials have now been diagnosed with COVID-19. Now, unwillingly, they went home to their families. And now, yes, and now their families have uh, caught COVID-19. And I think about 40 of those people, but the tragedy is, Susan, two uh, four-month-old babies Oh, have, no. have also caught that virus, that virus from these drunken drug filled yobbos, but you'll call the writers. They are writers and they are brown shirts. The brown, shirt, the brown shirts who helped Hitler get to power, who helped the fascists get to power. Well, uh, but did you yeah. say that there really were some union members in there? Yes, there were some, and I, I could name some, and I think I did last week, and the companies they are from, but they have now been identified by the union. They will be, and this is not, you know, a, a, a sour grapes thing by the union. You can cannot destroy union property and think that you can get away with it. You have passed on a deadly virus. Exactly, to two four-month-old babies. That would be on film, surely. That's how they have been able to identify those people. Well, Uh, they must be COVID positive. Well, yeah, but those people, those people don't register. They don't believe in COVID, so they don't, they, 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 spill out over the community and they don't do as you and I do, wear masks or do a QR code. They will go into supermarkets uh, uh, fully full of the, uh, of, the, uh, of the virus and spread it. Now, one of the things I really, really got uh, upset about two weeks ago, these freedom fighters, now... You'll call them something else. I'll call them cut lunch commandos, right? Uh, because they're gutless 
and they're cowards. But if you are one of those freedom fighters that spat on our frontline nurses two weeks ago who were giving out vaccines at the uh, Melbourne Town Hall, my word for you is that you are subhuman. But you waltzed around the town still crying freedom. Now, if you're one of those liberal or conservative politicians who has advocated opening up of business while people are dying of the deadly COVID virus, their deaths will be on your shoulders because you have no conscience. But you still cry freedom. If you don't believe that COVID exists and get your information from conspiracy theorists on the internet, then you are just a fool. And freedom, you shout. Now, just as concerning who, if you're one of those soulless mongrels that desecrated the Shrine of Remembrance by pissing on the monument of our fallen soldiers from all wars, men and women, you are a cowardly human. The freedom you desire was lost the moment you urinated on the on the spirit of the men and women who gave their lives for the freedom you now demand. And just to finish, Susan, if you're one of those scab brats or those plague rats that attacked us here for me last week after being supplied with methamphetamine by a well-known northern suburbs crime family and the police have footage, in order to give you Dutch courage, you are the nose snot of humanity. Keep crying freedom because no one is listening. Oh, bag, Matt. No, I get a bit fired up about this, and I shouldn't get fired up, Susan, because we are about to come out. We are about to come out of this this uh, this lockdown. Um, <laughs> well, I, wondered, I wonder what you got to say for a minute when you said <laughs> you were about to come out. All right. But oh, after all, all this time, you tell me. I mean, yeah. You you could have told me any time, Bagman. I'm, right. I'm your you, comrade. Yeah, you would understand. But anyway, Susan, all I can say is don't cry for me. Because... Wagga wagga. <laughs> Sorry, that's another song. It's stuck in my head. All don't right. cry for me. Wagga wagga. 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 Mm. <laughs> because Buenos Aires in Argentina, now I've been there, has recorded one. 150,000 deaths. That's oh, right. 150,000 deaths since the introduction of COVID-19. Now, let's put it in context. Victoria has recorded 869 deaths in the same period. Now, I don't know what the Premier, Dan Andrews, is doing right, but keep doing it, Dan. In the meantime, don't cry for me, Argentina. I'm, I'm being looked after. <laughs> You're being looked after. You're <laughs> all right, Jack. Yeah, bugger you, Jack. I'm all right. Yeah, that's it. Well, anyway, now I know that you'll forgive me because I'm famous all over the world for being a channel surfer. Oh. Now, normally it's on television, but I've uh, moved over to the radio and I happen to hear a, uh, a, a conversation or an interview 
with a Tony Jones. Now, Tony Jones was filling in for Neil Mitchell. Uh, he, he is the, the de facto premier of Victoria, uh, Neil Mitchell, and he works for War Radio, which is 3AW, because if there's an illegal war going on, or a war of any kind, you can rest assured 3AW will be supporting it. But anyway, I heard this lazy journalist, Tony Jones, interview a bloke by the name of Rush Can Fernando. Now, he was interviewing Rush Can Fernando and saying, you're a very brave person. You can get in amongst those rioters and those the drug-filled yobbos and whatever, and you can get in there and get the interviews and the close-up personal stuff that the mainstream media can't get. Oh. <laughs> What, what Tony Jones forgot to say was that while his friend Paul Dowsley was being assaulted and having um, uh, cans of urine uh, hit him on the head outside of the CFMU building, Rush Can Fernando had the, uh, had the crowd of rioters, drug-filled uh, yobbos or whatever, in his hand. And Tony Jones said, you're a very brave man. Hey, you can get in there and uh, get those close-up interviews and whatever. Well, Tony Jones should have done his homework because this rush can Fernando is the pin-up boy of the anti-vaxxers, the anti-maskers, and the, peop- uh, uh, the police people that go, will go around insulting, uh, assaulting our police force and spitting on our frontline troops like nurses, and he seemed to think, "Oh, gee, you're you're a bit of a hero, mate." Well, you're not a bit of a hero. Um, you're a pinup boy for those young, uh, yobbos, drunken thugs, and whatever, and you don't deserve any recognition at all. But I tell you what, Susan, uh, this ra- this rush cam bloke, he's a good wedding photographer. Is uh, he? he? Oh well. <laughs> He's one of these people that come out uh, like Rebel News and whatever and says, oh, no, I'm a journalist. I'm allowed to travel and do whatever I want and I've got the accreditation, whatever. Well, they're just coming out of the woodwork. They they are crawling from under their rocks. But uh, this Rush Can Fernando, he's a good wedding photographer. What's his name? Rush Can. I call him Rusty Can. Rushcan Fernando, he's an Indian guy, and he runs a business taking wedding photography. But it's like Moses parting the ways uh, when there's a riot going on, when people are being assaulted, when frontline troops are being spat on and frontline troops of the police force are being bashed. Um, He gets in there uh, because they part the ways and he gets in there and gets the interviews, but the only reason he does it is because he is one of them. Oh, oh God, it's just... But, of course, when you said Tony Jones, I thought, yeah. oh, no, oh, no. Where did I Not thought? Q&A. Hmm. I thought you meant Tony Jones from Q&A, but, of course, you don't. No. What do you know about Tony Jones? Yes, yes, Bagman. I think you mean Tony Chompers Jones. That's 
He's a sports presenter. Oh, well, he was filling in for the de facto Premier of Victoria, uh, Neil Mitchell, last week. He's a sports presenter on Channel 9. He's on the 9 News. He's a sports... uh, You must know him him from his smile. They don't call him Chompers. Chompers. They don't call him Chompers for nothing. But he's a fill-in presenter on 3AW. Now, I, I know this bloke. I remember this bloke. I remember a wonderful bit of a news clip in 2013, and he asked mm-hmm. fellow presenter on television, he asked fellow presenter if she'd like to come around his place for a barbie. And she said, oh, and she said, no, thank you. The clip went oh, viral. Okay. Now, a couple of years after that, this Chompers Jones tried to kiss Rebecca on the cheek on live television. I've seen that. Yeah, of course you saw it. Oh, God, I've seen that. Well, nearly 16 million people watched the clip on YouTube alone. Oh, God, But I must let you know, we shouldn't be cruel. Tony Chompers Jones does not like his nickname Chompers. He does Mm. not like... Any Nick, he doesn't like being called Bugs Bunny. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, he says, judging by his work, not by his appearance. All <laughs> oh, right, okay. Well, I know your work, Chompers. I know how you really stressed Rebecca Judd. I mean, seriously, chatting up a woman for a joke on live TV and then kissing the woman for a joke. Yeah. yeah, he said it was a joke. But I don't know what they call that. That I don't know what they call him choppers for. So he's not that Tony Jones from Q&A with the fat cheeks. No, no. Maybe he's, we should. He's, he's, he's that Tony Jones who does uh, the sports racing, you oh, know, right. the, the horse racing. In fact, it's hard sometimes. Yeah. Hey, <laughs> hard hey. sometimes. <laughs> Hey Susan, Susan, maybe we should give him, maybe we should give him a new nickname. If he doesn't like the old one of Chompers, why don't we give him a new one? Let's call him Chompers. Oh God, <laughs> I, was, I was just laughing so much. Please excuse me. I was just remembering him on the um, sports news, talking to you know, standing next to horses, and uh, some. Sometimes it was hard to tell which was which. <laughs> hey. Oh, oh, he's, he's got nice teeth. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, Susan, what what more can you say about politics in this country? Now we are multicultural society. We are a multicultural society. No matter whether people will want to want to argue about that and suggest that we should be all white. But you have a Prime Minister of this country, a Pentecostal Prime Minister of this country that speaks in tongues, right? Now, you can't get any more frivolous than that. Now, we have a new Premier of Victoria after our glad bags. Sorry, uh, sorry, bagman. Yeah. New Premier of New South Wales. Yeah, new Premier of New South Wales. His name is Dominic Perignon, I think. Or Perignon. Call him Perignon, that'll do. Yeah. Perignon. 
Dom Perignon. Anyway, he's he is a a convert to apostate. Now you put him with a prime minister who believes in speaking in tongues and believes in end of days, um, where the fire and brimstone will come and only snatch up the Pentecostals and take them to heaven. Well, Dom Perignon uh, also uh, is a believer in Opus Day. Now, they're the ones that go around flogging themselves or flagellating themselves. Uh, and they're regarded as the extreme, the extreme uh, section of the Catholic movement. Uh, Hang really... on, Bagman. Hang on. Excuse me, Bagman. We'll have to yeah. stop you saying that. Opus Day is not an extreme uh, Catholic movement. It's just a Catholic, well, it is an organisation. There are possibly some tiny segments within it that may go over the top, overdo things, but they do not represent Opus Dei. Paul uh, Keating was a member of Opus Dei, wasn't he? Oh, no, was he? My God. But not Tony Abbott. Oh, no, no. no. Wash your mouth out about Paul Keating, sure. Oh, well, yeah, well, Catholics, yeah. Catholics, you know. Well, you know, Susan, we're recovering Catholics. Yes, we're, and I... We're, We've done the 12 steps, uh, and now our souls are free of any sin. Uh, and no matter where we go, it won't be to heaven or it won't be to hell. I don't know where it'll be, but it won't be one of those places that were drummed into us as young children all those years ago. But I've done my nine first Fridays, uh, so it doesn't matter where I die. <laughs> <laughs> Some priest will suddenly appear out of nowhere and out well, of the time-space continuum <laughs> to give me the last rites and hear my last confession. Yeah, well, Susan, I've got to admit, now, if I get run over by the proverbial bus um, next Friday and you happen to be around, you can call the Catholic priest and he can come and give me extreme unction because I would like to have five bob each way. Fair enough. Five bob each <laughs> way. I'll give you eight to five. <laughs> I'll give you odds on. Anyway, now, Susan, I'm not aware of the time because once again, I cannot see the Coburg Town Hall clock. But I rely on you to please give me the hint when it's time to sign out. How curious you should say that just oh, now, right. man. Yeah. Curiouser and curiouser. Curiouser, yeah. I was and about to say we should go out, Bagman. Well, let's go in the same old way. Oh, why not? Dare to struggle. Dare to win. If you don't fight. You lose. You're losing. Goodbye from left after breakfast. <laughs> you changed the end. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> yes, thank you, Bagman, and thank you to the miracles of modern technology that allows us to bring this show to you from my front room, looking out on the street, watching the rubbish truck men out there working and making lots of bumping noise. 
and the bagman no longer has to be perched up there in his treehouse in his backyard, the one that he had some tenancy problems with with his grandson. But no more of that anymore. We do it straight to you. So thanks for coming along for the ride. Thanks for listening to us this morning. We we'll hope you will just keep doing so. And I'll have to play that fantastic union song that I always like to play on this program. It's got to be one of the best union marching songs in the world. Shirts in with dogs and mace I'll hold the line, won't step away Cause you can't break me I belong, you belong We belong to the union Don't count me out when I'm on the floor We'll win again, we've won before The streets will ring with a mighty roar Cause you can't break me Stocks rise up on workers' backs Profits soar while you hand out the sack Boardroom bullies, bloated and fat But you can't break me Australia's sold to mates offshore Backroom deals and shonky law This day has come, we say no more You can't break me I belong, you belong We belong to the union I belong, you belong We belong to the union I'll never lay down and die I'm in the union, mate, got a right to belong We'll be back, million strong Women and men united as one Cause you can't break me There's a warning here to the men in grey The piper's come, it's time to pay We're taking back what you stole away Cause you can't break me I belong, you belong, we belong to Just before I play our little theme song at the end, I wanted to tell you, some people have asked about what that theme song is. It's um, 
Hungarian Dance Number no. 5 by Mantovani, Annunzio Mantovani, a man who was born in Venice in 1939, and his parents cunningly brought him to England just in time to get away from the dreadful things happening in Europe. But Mantovani is the first entertainer to sell over one million stereo albums and have six albums simultaneously in the US Top 30. He held that record until the Beatles. Plenty of specialist music programs to choose from on the 3CR grid. Explore the 3CR schedule online at 3cr.org.au. Yes, this is our vibration. Check out Music Sans Frontier. Great voices. Music matters. The hip sister hop show. The heavy session. The Planet X radio show. Satellite skies. Shindig. Sweet dreams. Tune in to 3CR 855 AM on your digital radio or streaming live at 3cr.org.au. Let our music make you happy.
When I was new to Melbourne, I found a Food Not Bombs flyer on the road and I had like this feast with a carrot and carrots are my favorite vegetable. Yeah, I think they were asking for help doing stuff and I got in touch. We, I guess, rescue food. That would otherwise go to waste. I like the aspect of sharing food and um, not making anyone feel obligated to pay anything for it. We make a real point at Food Not Bombs of involving everyone who wants to be involved in whichever part they want to be involved in. For more information, go to fnbmelb.noblogs.org. Food Not Bombs is a 3CR supporter. You're listening to 3CR 855 AM on digital and on the internet, www.3cr.org.au.